Welcome to the Creatio No-Code Playbook podcast, where we discuss insights, tips, and success stories on how to leverage the no-code approach to transform business and deliver applications of any complexity. I'm your host, Jason Miller, head of pre-sales at Creatio here in the Americas. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Burley Kawasaki, founder of Tachyon Solutions and co-author of the No-Code Playbook. Burley, welcome back. Thanks, Jason. Happy to be here. So in our first discussion, we talked a lot about the early parts of the playbook. We talked about understanding what no-code was, kind of the intro to no-code. We talked about some new terms, things like no-code creator or citizen developers. And we talked about how no-code has risen in popularity over the last several years and why now is the right time to write the book. We're going to continue that discussion. And we're going to talk about a little bit more of the deeper topics that you and Catherine wrote about in the book. And we're gonna kind of pick up somewhere in the chapter eight area talking about options analysis. But before we get there, I wanna I want to make a couple of distinctions, two things that you talk about in the no-code playbook. The first being um, picking a delivery model, and then we're gonna to go to options analysis about what system to implement. So when you talk about early on in the book, you talk about <clears throat> picking a delivery model and you talk about developing, you know, COEs, uh, you know, center of excellence, you talk about doing it yourself or or some mix thereof. What were some of the things that you were thinking about and helping to design the matrix um, that you've got in the book around picking the right delivery model? Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of interesting. You know, the application matrix uh, sort of emerged, I would say, as a concept as we were writing and, and fleshing out the methodology. And it, it really had to do with the fact that we wanted to keep the methodology sort of lightweight and, and simple for you know for simpler apps, but we, we knew that there was this range of complexity that the enterprise you know wrestled with. And, and as you got into more complex mission critical business processes, or you got into more regulated industries, that that you needed to build in more robustness <laughs> and, and into the methodology. And we, we we sort of emerged. There was an aha moment at one point that you, you really can't have a one-size-fits-all methodology that applies equally to both the simple as well as the more complex sort of use cases and scenarios. And so we needed to have a way to scale it. Um, and so this notion of the application matrix uh, sort of emerged, which was, can you can you find a way to sort of assess the complexity of your application? And we ultimately ended up sort of picking sort of three dimensions. You know, there's a business complexity, a governance complexity, and a technical complexity. And if you, if you sort of score or grade, you know, the, the app and the use case that you're trying to address, then this would help decide, like, how, how much of the process to use and, and also how to scale the organization. Um, and so, it, it, and again, that, that wasn't in sort of the earliest stages of, of some of the, the thinking, but it emerged because we realized we, we had to if, if this was going to be um, scalable up and down for, for a customer. So when you talk about those three different areas of complexity, right, business complexity, governance complexity, and technical complexity, you're really also talking about different groups within the business, right? We're talking about... Um, the business processes. So how complex or, or convoluted are the business processes? And we can we could have a whole nother discussion that we won't have today around unwinding business processes and optimizing business processes. But that, that kind of focuses on the business users. When you talk about technical complexity, that may be something that aligns around 
data, locations, integrations. Um, it could also align to number of systems within an overall architecture. And then there's governance complexity, which is more around how are you going to maintain things from an InfoSec standpoint or uh, HIPAA or, or PII. What, what are some of those things? Did you, did you weight those any differently or did you think about all of those things kind of as an equal weight when you put together the matrix? Well, as you pointed out, it, it, um, you know, it, it starts to get into who needs to be involved. And, and I think that's in some ways more important than waiting uh, because all of the complexity actually um, is, is important and requires different skill sets. It's just the, the, the skill sets and where they sit inside your, your organization will, will vary. Um, when you think about business complexity, a lot of the you know, complexity around the business process or use cases and you know, how that may vary by region or by, you know, by department. Um, a lot of that is complex, but it, it actually, um, you know, sits typically inside the business. And so I, I would argue that the business function or the business group that is sort of sponsoring, you know, this, this no-code application probably has a lot of that knowledge in-house, right? And, and so we, we have this, this concept of a do-it-yourself model, right, where, where you know, the, the business team can can take on a lot of this because they understand that and they're, they're in many ways, the best ones to, you know, to, to, to meet, make sure they're meeting the needs of the, of the process or the business. Um, when you get into the technical complexity, to your point, there's, there's a lot of technologies and, and nuances about, you know, systems of a record that you're integrating with or scale of user transactions, right? And, and so there's things there that do require in, in many cases, some amount of, uh, you know, technical knowledge and, and may require developers. And, and so we have this notion, it's actually one that uh, Gartner, you know, has talked about and sort of coined the term fusion teams, which is, it's, it's a combination of both the business and the technologists working together in, in, in you know, I, there's different org models. Sometimes they're embedded inside the, the business themselves. You just have a developer on loan. In other cases, it's more of a matrix where, you know, the development and IT may may have a dotted line person that works for the project. So I, I'm not making a statement about org per se, but it, it's a it's a combined sort of set of skills and knowledge between development and, and business. That's sort of the fusion team model. Then there's a third one, which we called out, which was some ways, um, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, the broadest set of views around sort of the process and the methods get applied. And that it's really around the center of excellence model, which which helps support a lot of the more complex governance needs. As you pointed out, you know, it might be external governance, might be internal governance, might be infosec. Um, and, and also the, the whole notion, one of the concepts we talk a lot about is around, you know, component reuse and composability. I think that's a, that's a really key function that the CUE, you know, can enable and play. So it's perhaps, you know, looking more broadly than just that single project, but how do we anticipate perhaps certain parts of this uh, application, either creating reusable components that, that may be used by other teams or vice versa, you know, reusing components that may have been built by other teams. So there's a collaboration in a, in, in a, in a reuse uh, you know, function of the CUE plays. So those three sort of organizational models, the DIY, Fusion, and Center of Excellence, you know, just have, have important talent that is needed, um, and, and they typically sit in different parts of the org. And so we, we talk about how do you diagnose, do you need them? That's sort of the first question, and that's really the 
goal of the app matrix. And then the second part of this is how do you organize and how do you bring them together into an effort to help help make sure that your project is ultimately successful. Yeah, and I, I think for, for those that are still a little bit uninitiated and maybe haven't had a chance to read the playbook yet, the idea is not dissimilar to that of putting together a multi-talented or multi-dimensional scrum team. But the idea is really around understanding when you need, like you said, understanding when you need to bring those folks together based upon some certain characteristics that you talk about in the book. So I'd like to transition to the next topic. Uh, we, yeah, go ahead, bro. No, I was going to say, and you know, uh, over time, you know, as, as the process mature, it's it's. I don't think it's you know uncommon to to see that the processes do get more sophisticated, more complex. But the the goal again is to not overburden the simple projects from <laughs> being able to still be very sort of nimble and lightweight. And so just because you have you know, an enterprise wide view and you have a COE and you have lots of governance doesn't mean that every project needs to go through that. So it's important, you know, a, a lot of this isn't just about scaling up, but it's about scaling down so that your small projects, again, can be fast and can can be just as nimble as, as you know, they, they might uh, be if they were just, you know, the first project you were doing. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest value props that I always talk to folks about when it comes to no code is the fact that you don't have to have that big enterprise scale for for some of these small use cases, right? A lot of times these small use cases just sat in a backlog, sat in a backlog, sat in a backlog because there wasn't enough business value there to justify the ROI and the developer investment. So I think that's a good point and we'll kind of leave that there. But the next topic I want to talk about is an area that you talk about, which is options analysis. And that's chapter eight in the book. Now, options analysis is not the who will deliver, but it's what we should do or what systems we should use from, from a platform standpoint and from a, from a solution standpoint. I'm going to throw up a quick graphic here because in the, in the book, you talk about three areas. You talk about packaged applications, custom development, and no-code platforms. So if you can talk to us a little bit about why you think certain, um, certain flexibility is not there in packaged applications that is needed, the, why that may take you towards no code or vice versa, why you would go no code versus custom app dev. I think that's a burning question that a lot of folks are still asking themselves. Yeah, <clears throat> now, it, it is a, it's a great question. And, you know, it, I, w I would say, you know, we've become accustomed to this notion of buy versus build that, you know, you, you have those two options, right? If you, if you want speed, you, you, you want to, you know, have sort of the max amount of sort of functionality um, out of the box, right? You, you, you buy from package software and in this day and age, there's a, a SaaS application for virtually every, every business or every function. Um, and then on the other side, you know, if, if you want something really sort of unique that differentiates your business process or that is, is adapted to your specific operating uh, procedures, then you can custom build. And, and so those are sort of the two ends of the spectrum. Um, and and I, I think, you know, over the, you know, time, the decades, <laughs> people have sort of become used to buy versus build. They realize that there's, there's not necessarily uh, a... a a perfect fit sometimes because you, you don't want to build something from scratch, partly because you, you don't want to not only, you know, spend all the time and effort it takes to just build the most basics of functionality, but, but also then it's the support and maintenance and updates. So, so people are, you know, I think aware of the challenges when you build from scratch, but then they, they also want to be able to configure it and be very 
uh, agile in terms of the way that they they adapt the the functionality in the process and, and use it as a differentiator for their business. And so they, they really want some sort of middle ground. And, and I think no code can be and is that middle ground for a lot of companies where it gives them the, you know, the speed and, and time to market advantages that out of the box provides, but it still gives them the, the flexibility of customization. Um, and in particular, when you think about no code that comes with um, increasingly, you know, this notion, and a lot of vendors, you know, have this uh, about different app templates, right? That you, you may be able to go out to a marketplace and you may be able to find templates that that are a starting point and pre-configured for different functional or vertical, you know, business processes. This is, again, a great way to, to get a lot of the benefits of out of the box, but still maintain the the adaptability, the, the customization, configuration, really benefits of, of no code. Um, so I, I, w- I would say it's it's you know it's been sort of this nice middle ground that for a lot of companies really hits sort of the 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 the, the sort of the middle between those two sort of opposing forces sometimes, and I think that's partly why it's been so uh, so popular. I think you hit on one really big point that I think a lot of people miss a lot of times is that. No code is uh, is probably drives the most flexibility, right? And like you said, having that ability to bring these composable applications or even down to a composable architecture that you can replicate easily, deploy easily, is really what drives a lot of the rapid uh, deployment methodology. You know, when we talk about, and we're going to talk about everyday delivery here in just a few minutes, but it really helps you accelerate getting things to market, right? So faster to start, faster to finish. Obviously, that drives... Uh, a, a much faster uh, beginning to your ROI cycle, which brings down typically your total cost of ownership as well, because you're not spending as much time um, or professional service dollars with external firms helping build those things out. So I, I think that was a really good summary. And, and again, the graphics in chapter eight, when when the folks get to the book, I want to shift topics now, and, and we've got about 10 minutes left here. I want to shift topics and, and really go into the go live section of the book. And You've got five chapters in there that talks about everything from prototyping to MVP, putting in feedback loops so that you're collecting feedback from the users and making incremental daily changes to help help either improve the processes, make better use of the application, um, and also the governance checks. Talk to us a little bit about how you think about that first release cycle, that prototyping to go live and, and getting that MVP defined and how you roll that out in a way that it brings business value right off the bat. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start, you know, I, I had uh, quotes <laughs> sort of highlighted for each of the chapters and uh, Jason and I were talking about this before the show about one of his favorite quotes, it's one of mine as well, is the quote from Mario Andretti who says, if everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough. And I would say that that sort of is, Really at the heart and soul of this, of this stage of the life cycle, which is, you know, you, you, you will feel like things are, are moving very rapidly because they are. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that's the power of, of sort of this go live approach, which is, you know, you're, you're not trying to strive for perfection. And a lot of times people, especially those that are used to, you know, traditional software cycles that are long, that are, 
you know, are, are, are sort of uncertain perhaps in terms of, you know, how, how frequently you may get <laughs> features delivered from development or IT. Like you, there, there's a natural instinct, I think, to, to strive for perfection, get every last requirement in because it may be a while before you get another release. So jam it all in while you can, which is counter to this notion of everyday delivery and, and trying to unlock value, um, you know, rapidly get feedback, you know, identify enhancements, keep adding those in. Uh, and, and, and once, once you make this shift, and it's not only a shift for the team that is building the app, but it's a shift for the end users because when they realize that, oh, when they make a request, uh, I, I got, I, I put in my request this morning and it showed up in the app this afternoon or, or the next day, then they, they, they start relaxing a little bit. And instead of striving for this, you know, perfection, which you, you will never get to as, as a singular release, but you can get to perfection over time. Right. And, and so that really encompasses both you know, the prototype MVP stage, which is about, you know, how do you break down and decompose, you know, things into small units of value um, that you can very rapidly iterate and, and deliver on, have feedback, you know, that, that you can get um, immediately. And you know, we, we talk in the playbook about different mechanisms and, and ways to gather feedback. Sometimes you have to invest a little bit in terms of process and tooling to make sure you can get as much feedback as you want. You don't want to just you know, sort of, you know, uh, let people, you know, shoot you emails and, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the, uh, gets the grease. So they, they, they say it, you, you want to have a structured way of collecting feedback and, and getting the diverse feedback. But once you get a, a, a proper loop that, that allows you to process continuously feedback from your, your stakeholders, from your end users, and, and you, you really take full advantage of the speed and rapid ability to introduce small use cases into the, the application, then that, that really sort of sets up this continuous flywheel approach as opposed to waiting for big releases. You also talk about, um, in this section of the book, you talk about the governance checks and making sure, not just having those feedback loops, but making sure that you've got the right you know, eyes on the product. You've got the right people in the Fusion team thinking about what governance needs to apply, You know, thinking about criticality and severity, right? The normal organizational risk models that you think about. Talk to us a little bit about how the, the governance check process is different using no code than it is in call it a traditional software development lifecycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that, this is a really important topic. It, it's, you know, I think one of the biggest fears that, you know, certainly IT has, right? It, it's the classic shadow IT concern. Oh, if I, you know, if I just let people start building apps and, you know, they're, they're not trained or, you know, not following the right process compliance and, you know, bad things will happen, right? And, and you know, there, there's a risk or, or a, a, a part of truth in that. But but I, I would actually argue that, you know, um, that, that will happen regardless, right? If people are going to try to, to, to go crazy, you know, you actually want them to have a standard toolbox. You want them to have a standard process. You want to have some guidance that helps steer them in, in ways that then will will help ensure your ability to stay compliant. And, and so rather than just sort of let your business teams go off and, you know, hand select point solutions here and apps there and this and that, which will definitely, I think, potentially create a lot of, you know, security or governance issues down the stream, having a, a validated, you know, uh, sort of proven 
and, and tested, you know, standard no code platform actually is a way to, to steer, uh, you know, the business to, to do the right thing ultimately. And, and so, you know, so I would say getting the right sort of underlying uh, process and tools in place is sort of, you know, the first step. And that's, you know, that's a one-time effort to make sure that's in place um, from a no code platform. Then beyond that, it comes down to, you know, we just talked about the app matrix. You know, not every app will necessarily warrant going through the full process. Some may not have uh, sensitive data, right? Or, or some may be, you know, in areas that aren't covered or, or regulated by the same level of, of sort of governance. And, and so, you know, for those, you want to make sure they still have the freedom to, to move quickly. But the ones that do have either, you know, sensitive, you know, PII data or that may may be covered by a certain type of industry regulation or certification checklist. I mean, make sure that those do follow the process. You know, the, the whole notion of go live and moving as fast as you can does not give you a pass from, from you know, following the, the sort of the governance checks, but it's knowing, you know, which apps need to, and then providing as much as possible a checklist in, in sort of reusable framework so that the, the teams can can efficiently perform the the governance checks as opposed to you know having to figure it out on their own which is again the way a lot of shadow IT sort of gets into trouble is you you have them trying to climb the hill themselves without giving them the basic tools for you know where to go I find it very interesting so what you just described is a couple of things one providing a set of tools from a toolbox and and standards call it the guide rails right letting letting the IT and governance folks set those boundaries with um, either a platform or a couple of different platforms to really help drive some of that business transformation. It's interesting, um, as as the no-code playbooks come out and some other some other manuals that are out there, there's been a great debate on, on LinkedIn and other social platforms and conversation around, well, should companies be looking at one platform or should they be looking at, like you talked about, multiple point solutions that are out there? And I think the answer is it depends on how much governance you want to apply. Obviously, the larger the solution, the larger the impact of the business. My personal belief is you want to have one platform. It's easier to maintain. It's easier to govern from a uh, from an enterprise standpoint, right? If you're just you know a small little organization, you can have two or three or four um, maybe small no code tools in your in your arsenal. But I, would you agree that the larger the enterprise gets, the more governance needs to probably be in place for what you're doing? And therefore, the consolidation of platforms is really one of the core values that a no-code tool can, can add? I would agree. Uh, I, I, and we sort of talked about this earlier you know, in the options analysis. Simpler is, is usually always better, right? And, and while you, you may you know, initially think that, oh, I, you know, this particular platform has some slight capability or your differences than another. And so each, each team or each function should, you know, pick the one that's best suited for them. I think you ultimately realize that, you know, you, you just can't support that kind of complexity. And, and it's not just the large ones. I would argue it's, it, you know, smaller ones in particular. I, I talked to a lot of sort of, you know, small enterprises and they just don't have the IT staff to support, you know, two or three different no-code tools. They, they they ended up picking one largely because you know of their uh, of their sort of internal talent wanting to you know concentrate their skills uh, in, in a single in a single tool set or technology. Um, plus, I would say even outside of the technology and vendor complexity, there is this you know process 
and, and methodology complexity, right? Of, you know, every vendor is, is a little different. And so you do end up tailoring some of the process and the, the methods, you know, for that vendor's capability. And so if you have too many variants, your methodology and the process of building apps will, will start to get more complex as well. So, you know, is, is, is it always best to only have one? Not necessarily, but simpler is, is generally better. No, I agree wholeheartedly. And and Burley, I think some of the information you provided us over the last couple of podcasts and time that we spent together has been absolutely invaluable. I do encourage folks that are listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, if you haven't read the No Code Playbook yet by Catherine Kostareva and Burley Kawasaki, I do encourage you to pick it up. You can download a copy from Amazon or you can go to the creatio.com website and get your copy. Burley, thank you again for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Always love to hear your insights on this topic. Well, there again, we've learned a lot about the hype about no-code development and the power of no-code platforms. The benefits are real, and Burley has absolutely helped us understand this, not only in the no-code playbook, but also in the discussions that we've had over the last couple of podcasts. For those of you who are watching us, I hope you enjoyed the video. Please be sure and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more. For those who you are listening to us on your favorite platform, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and had a great time. Check out our previous episodes on the various platforms of the No Code Playbook podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many more. To get more information about our products and services, visit www.creatio.com and get insights, more insights to check out our No Code events page. We'll talk again soon.